if trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation can happen to somebody who has significant relative privilege um, in our society, then how much more at risk are folks with multiple intersections of marginalization and vulnerabilities? Hey, listeners. Welcome to Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Rowland. You're going to get to hear true sex trafficking crime stories. These are stories that maybe never made it to headlines. Maybe they weren't believed. And you're going to get to hear from survivors themselves tell the truths of sex trafficking. Join us and remember, listener discretion is advised. We understand the the greatness about our community and we know the struggles of our community and I think that that is something to be excited for when we can come together and share stories like ours and be a voice for those who need us. You are worthy, you know, and you are, you're precious, you know, you're beautiful and in spite of what you're going through of what you've gone through, it does not determine who you are going to be in the future just being able to tell my story to that one person who can relate or that one person who believes me. All that mess you went through, there's a message in there and there's a message of hope and transparency and freedom for somebody else. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your freedom is in your mouth and it's the key to somebody else's chains. You matter and your story matters always. Taking the voices of the unheard and you're letting them be heard in a very safe space. Good morning, Megan. I am so thrilled that you're here with us at the Unseen Traffic Truth podcast. And for some of you who all don't know, I am a little bit fangirling. I was just telling her before we got on the air that I can't wait to connect with her. Not just how we connected is why I'm really, really um, fangirling you because it's just like, what? what? How do we find each other? And I, know. I get to have you on the air and you're such a beautiful leading survivor soul that is able to still be in this field helping and assisting and just just kind of like we're doing similar things and I always love talking to survivors that are still doing something in the realm of giving back per se that's uh with bigger like like on bigger scale like I'm still on a small scale but you're to me you're on like a big scale oh you're doing something amazing (laughs) here I think it's so um, I, I think podcasts are having a moment right now and yeah. I'm like in full support, like let's, let's enjoy this moment. Let's do this. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, cause it is a unique space and it's a unique space for this type of discussion. And again, that's why I'm sort of like blushing on this end because I, I know your support from the very beginning of how we first connected. And that's, what's just honored this communication and, 
uh, we're finally here. So we did it. Yes, we did it. Without further ado, Megan, could you introduce yourself and let them know where you're currently at and not just the location, but the Avery Center? Yes. Yeah. So uh, my name is Megan Lundstrom. I am the co-founder and director of research at the Avery Center. Um, the Avery Center is based in Northern Colorado. However, we serve across North America and do some, some research and consulting stuff outside of um, the U.S. And, and the North America kind of area. So yeah, we we have direct services that are available to victims and survivors of commercial sexual exploitation and domestic sex trafficking. And then my um, wheelhouse, my my love is data and research and making sure that survivors' voices are being heard um, in the spaces that they need to be um, through that kind of creating that platform of research and data um, with survivors. Uh, you know, telling their experiences and advocating for what they need. Ah, blushing heart is puttering, <laughs> stomach is in knots and all in a good way. And I have this weird connection also to you because of the research. And that's kind of how I got into working with my first population of survivors, which were at the time, labeled as, you know, street walkers, sex workers. Mm -hmm. And I was doing, I was with the research scientist team. And I can't tell you how awesome it is for you to say spaces to give voices to those unheard. And that's how we sort of connected. And on another end, Megan, it's so funny because your AmeriCorps volunteer I don't yes, know. I don't Hannah. like to, I mean, yeah. So Hannah, shout out to Hannah. She's amazing. <laughs> she um, was able to reach out. And what amazes me is that I used to be an AmeriCorps volunteer. So, oh my gosh, small I am, world. Yes, I am all about research, AmeriCorps volunteers, and most importantly, obviously, the spaces for survivors. And when Hannah told me what you all would be working on and how we were connected, I was just even more engulfed in the respect and appreciation for you being uh, the director, not only that, but a survivor Mm -hmm. and another super empowered woman, not just a super woman, but you're super empowered because (laughs) you get to be alongside other allies and advocates doing the anti-trafficking work. So how did, and this is, this is my, I'm still fangirling. So please guys, let me be selfish just for a little bit. <laughs> Hannah told me that you all came across the podcast. Yes. I forget who stumbled across it. It was probably Hannah or Daniel um, because they are always, they're just amazing. Always looking for like, who else can yes. we connect with? What else is happening in this field? Um and I was not familiar with the podcast at that point. So I was like, I, I don't know, but let's reach out and find out. And so Hannah um, reached out and connected with you and she got back to me and she was just like, oh my gosh, they're good people. You have to, <laughs> you have to get connected. Um, and, and Hannah is just brilliant and amazing. So I, 
anybody that she's one of those people that when she says like, you need to meet this person, I'm like, okay, they're, they're really good people. So. I love that. I mean, yeah. that just speaks volumes about you too, though, because that's that honoring again, those spaces and that word is, you know, you believe them and you want to stay connected and you, you, you mm-hmm. know, you can, you definitely will want to look into it. You're interested. And that means a lot because when we think of directors of, uh, you know, organizations, especially as big as yours working with data and research, you don't think that our messages are getting across to the big wigs. Like you're pretty major, Megan, you know, I I was going to say, I don't feel major at all. (laughs) Yeah, It's just so important to collaborate. And I think, you know, trafficking happens because of information silos and because, just as humans and in our society, we think everybody thinks they can do everything by themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just, I really firmly believe in like, as the saying goes, we have to be the change that we want to see in the world. And so if we don't like those information silos and, and that, you know, like just toxic independence, mm-hmm. like we have to be modeling it and we have to be connecting and collaborating and learning what other people are doing and how we can support what they're doing. And um, so, yeah, I just, this kind of stuff is super, super fun and it's super important to kind of the culture at the Avery Center. Yes, girl, it is, (laughs) isn't it? And it's super important. I mean, coming from, you know, research and data, I mean, you got to always keep up with the trends and you got Mm -hmm. these, you know, you got these awesome young AmeriCorps, you know, volunteers that, you know, make sure we are on it. Man, my team keeps me on my toes. (laughs) Yes, I can't imagine. And because Hannah connected first with Emma and Emma's like, Victoria, Victoria, there's someone from the Avery Center. And we were just beginning the podcast and I didn't have like episodes already recorded, ready to be edited and released in like batches. It was just as I went and I'm like a true crime kind of junkie. So I said, how can I merge and get in it where I know that there's a pool of listeners who watch these movies and act like it's just fiction, like it's not Mm -hmm. real. And you're not going to catch these stories just by waiting for a, you know, a next movie to be taken, um, excuse me, like a next movie, like taken to be coming out to really educate everyone or traffic or, you know, things like that. So I wanted this space and it just evolved into representing survivors even more because again, I can't emphasize this enough. There weren't a lot of spaces for voices to be heard. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. And that's what I appreciated with our discussion with Hannah, because I, I was a little bit timid to say, well, would Megan be able to be on? <laughs> and I told her, I said, I don't want to just talk to Megan, like, you know, director to director. I want to talk to her like survivor to survivor. And sure. they were like, oh, she'll be definitely up for that. I was like, really? <laughs> and again, like, yes. Put, put it on the calendar. I'm there. Yes, Count you me. were. And you were. And we changed both <laughs> because of our schedules. And I appreciate that. Uh-huh. I'm sorry for changing. But I I didn't want to lose a momentum. But I also wanted to come from the, the, the still the fangirl heart that I have that I wanted to give you as a fellow survivor a space not to just honor your agency, but also honor your thriving, your surviving and to thriving. So if, if it's okay, would you would you allow us to hear your story? Yeah, sure. I can kind of give an overview for sure. 
in kind of middle-class America and, um, you know, the, the girl, the blonde haired girl next door type, um, situation. And, and I think it's really important to have that conversation because, um, if it can, if trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation can happen to somebody who has significant relative privilege, um, in our society, then how much more at risk are folks with multiple intersections of marginalization and vulnerabilities? Yes. Um, yes. So it's really important to understand, like, I am in, in some ways kind of this outlier of, um, I, I, I just think human trafficking as a movement, like, uh, we really struggle with some of the imagery around, you mentioned, you know, taken yes. and yes. Uh, the little white girl from suburbia mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, so I, I want to fully, fully acknowledge that piece um, and the importance of having those conversations around those intersections. And can I just um, take a moment to to really sure. thank you in that space? Um, because I say it on the podcast all the time that I want to represent the under, you know, under represented populations. And even mm-hmm. though they are the LGBTQ community, the male survivors, the people of color, there's still that where you still need to be in those spaces where we have individuals like yourself that still can speak on, I know that. So let me tell you how and what we're doing. And I'm honoring you just giving that little, you know, truth telling, not even little, that huge piece of telling the truth in that and identifying it. And I I just can't, I just, I just respect you in so many so many fashions because, and and this is just like why I why we're in such a safe space right now that I wanted to kind of share this with you, um, not to take away from you about to tell your story. But, no, go go ahead. <laughs> but uh, when we first started it, and I had my first episode with my story, and I said I wanted to give similar voices for you know young people like myself that you know want to be seen because we're not seen, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I had a, uh, you know, my, 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 my good friends and they're Caucasian and they're white, blonde hair, blue eyes, beautiful ladies. And they're just like, but I just feel like then I won't be like they said, they will be the outlier. And I said, is that okay? You know, you, yeah. you, you can be in that space. Okay. You mm-hmm. know, and then they just took a moment and they were like, you're right. Yeah. So tell those and stories, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's so, yeah, it's so important. I feel like we could talk about that all day. Right. So important uh, and such an important conversation that's really starting to, I think, be more intentional in our country, I hope, with just being mindful of race and gender and, you know, all of these different um intersections and identities and and how I show up in the world does not give me the right to have access to anything more compared to somebody else and how they show up in the world. And so recognizing that and having those those tough conversations and um, you know, I have a really good friend of mine who is also a survivor and man, she calls me out on my my BS all the time and I really <laughs> appreciate it. She's one of those people that you're just like, oh, so glad we have this kind of a relationship. But on multiple occasions, she's called me out and and I've had that reaction of like, well, but then I'm not special. Um, and and she's she said literally like, I'd encourage you to sit in that discomfort for a few days. Yes. Um, 
Hey, friend, and that was, shout out friend. <laughs> a shout out friend, man. It, I was just like, I was kind of offended. Like I was like, that's rude. Um, but, but it's, it's really important when you come from a place of privilege to sit in that discomfort of like, if I'm not the center of attention, am I still going to be okay with that? And can I, can I use the attention that I do get automatically to, to bring attention and create space for other people to also share their experiences and provide input? I, I, again, I just think wow. that's so important. So. I love this. Thank you so much, <sighs> Megan. Like, Okay. Let me, <laughs> I mean, it's just getting better and better. I'm like, now I have like the whole full chills of like, this is like a girl crush guys, girl crush <laughs> over here, you know? And, um, and you know, it's, it's like this because it's not common. And I wish it was, I know it bums me out. <laughs> and I, and I just wish there were more Megan's not I... in your space of like this podcast, but you are, the director at the Avery Center. So can you imagine the positions if other individuals were like you and thinking that and like we would be moving forward faster? It's I mean, that's one of, you know, our big goals at the Avery Center is to just challenge all of these systems and ways of thinking and question it. Why does it have to be this way? Who designated, you know, these procedures to go this way or um, you know, program design systems, whatever, yeah. have those conversations. Why? Who's mm-hmm. in charge? Who made it that way? Can we do it differently? Or is there a way to navigate this system in a way that gives folks more just independence and control? Um, wow. So that's, I, we're, we're really, um, I mean, that's kind of the big picture at the Avery Center is kind of raising up this army of people who um, just have these beliefs and, and are equipped with like, you know, hearing the experiences of, of those of us who have lived experience, but then also bringing in this data component and going out into the world and being great. Um, I think Hannah is a a perfect example. I mean, she came to us amazing, but, but really just making sure she's equipped and supported to go pursue what she does next. Cause she's going to make such a huge impact. Um, you know, after, after this Vista, um, her, her time as a Vista with us, she's going to go on and do the next amazing thing and uh, empower so many survivors and change so many um, policies and systems that need to be changed. So yes, really that is to be a part it. of a team like that. Yes, that is it. I don't let me forget because at the end, I'm going to say, are you hiring? You hear this? <laughs> we are you hear this? actually. Ooh, <laughs> yes. You hear yes. this? Okay. We want to work for Megan no <laughs> yes um, and another good thing yeah. is out of this is that you know sorry Hannah but you're going to move on to greater things that there will be maybe another AmeriCorps Vista position then right yes okay oh my gosh she yes. has totally sold us she's our first Vista so I was what? super nervous about it <laughs> and she has completely sold me on I was like oh my gosh how how have we gone the last <laughs> six years of existence without Vista, like right? she's she's just so talented. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I hope the the AmeriCorps, I mean the uh, director at mine when I was there, even though I was with Habitat for Humanity, I hope she was raving and saying the same thing. Um, because <laughs> Hannah, this is some good stuff. But I do also mm-hmm. want to say, 
in, you know, in response to that, that it is just so great to hear that for all of the even allies and advocates that are listening that don't know that much about it. You can start from like this perspective and we're not coming in as subject matter experts, but our survivor stories and like the, you know, all of us who have lived experience can help you in a way that's, I guess, more relative and understanding it than, uh, you know, the perspective of from when you are finished watching a specific movie or when you're done watching a specific book, like this is like Mm -hmm. front and center, more connections is what we hope. And, oh yeah, I will not forget to ask what positions you have open (laughs) at the AG Center. (laughs) Yeah, we can totally go through that at the end. I'd love to. Okay, perfect. Okay. I'm going to mute myself because this is what I continue to do. And I'm probably going to do it more often because I'm fangirling, but I will give you the mic, Megan. I apologize for interrupting. And oh, I'm so enjoying this. <laughs> we're back to your story. Okay. Um, so yeah, I grew up pretty, um, I would say like middle-class American average. And um, I, a lot of uh, my vulnerabilities did not happen until I turned 18. Um, I ended up getting pregnant right out of high school, got married um, to the father of um, now my, my two older kids um, and just completely unprepared for um, being married and, and being, you know, a housewife and, and staying home with two kids. That was just not what I had envisioned for myself. So um, through that marriage, my husband was an abusive alcoholic. And so after about five years realized this is not a healthy environment for my kids and I. And um, at that point decided to move um, down. So I live in a, a pretty rural area and I moved um, down to Denver um, in Colorado, really just trying to get away in my head. I wanted to get away from his control. I wanted to start over. Um, what I didn't know at the time, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh was that I was also removing myself from my support system in my hometown. I had family, um, you know, church, school friends, like I had a a community um, that I no longer really had access to living an hour away. So being down in Denver, I was working full-time, going to school full-time, trying to take care of two little, little kids all by myself. And there's just, there's not enough hours in the day to do all of those things. So I was exhausted, really trying to process, uh, you know, at 23, I'm, you know, a divorcee at 23. And I was just like, this is not what I thought my life was going to turn out to be like. And, and really, again, in hindsight, dealing with a lot of unresolved trauma around the abuse that I had survived. It was just kind of, normalized that that's what relationships were going to look like. Um, and, and so that was at the point that I met this guy who was super charming and good looking and charismatic and, um, drove a fancy car and paid a ton of attention to me. Um, and, you know, spent time with my kids, took them shopping for shoes, helped out with grocery. Like he just was this like Prince Charming that just appeared out of nowhere, you know, right in this moment of desperation. Um, And uh, within the next few months, he had groomed me and, and also preyed upon a lot of the circumstances that were still 
I guess, unfolding uh, as a result of that divorce and um, just kind of planting seeds. Like you could work at a strip club, you could work at a massage parlor. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, but he continued to kind of love bomb me mm. um, and convince me that I could go do these things and make really good money and we would be together and I wouldn't experience this financial instability. And so, like I said, within a couple of months, he had me posting ads on Backpage and was sending me out all over Denver, um, taking all of the money when I returned home every day. And, and that very quickly just, you know, spiraled into this life of absolute survival. And so I was under his control for about four years and escaped him. What I thought was I was escaping. Ultimately, what happened was I was sold to another pimp out in Las Vegas and uh, was trafficked out there for another year. Um, before I was able to escape uh, back to Colorado, finally able to reconnect with my family. But the story wasn't over then. It still was um, at that point after, you know, five years in the sex trade, I really was just like, I, I have a criminal arrest record. I don't have work history. I have, you know, my credits destroyed. I don't have other options. And so at that point, when I got back to Colorado, I really thought, you know, um, I just need to stay away from pimps and I, I have no choice but to continue prostituting because I don't have another way to pay my bills and support my kids. Um, and so continue to do that for about six months before I really hit rock bottom. I was arrested again. December 1st, 2012. And that was a major turning point in my life because that day I realized, you know, I'd been arrested a ton in Vegas and you bail out, you pay some fines and that's really it. But after so many arrests, I knew that I was going to start actually serving time. And that was really scary to me, the thought of, you know, going to jail, not being with my kids. Um, but the flip side was like, also, I could die. Um, it doesn't get, it's not going to get better from here. It's continuing to get worse. Every time I try to fix things, it gets worse. So yeah, December 1st, 2012, that night, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm done. And I don't have answers for what's next, but I have to do something else. I have to get out. And so that was really that, that exit point for me where um, I realized, you know, I feel like in some ways, I was kind of waiting for this knight in shining armor to come save me. And I didn't really care who it was, um, if it was, you know, a partner or a nonprofit or a church. Like, I just, I was like, I, I can't do anything. Like, somebody needs to save me from my life. Um, but that night was really, I think, the time where I took complete control over my life. I had the ability to take control over my life. And I just said, like, I'm not... I cannot do this anymore. I have to take charge and figure out what's next. Um, and so, yeah, I celebrated eight years of freedom this last December, um, which was a, a big year. Um, I was trafficked for five. I've been out for eight. And just looking back over the last eight years and seeing how much, not just professional um, success. Cause I like, I, I love what I do. I am so amazed at everything we've been able to do at the Avery center, but also kind of at that personal level, 
navigating having, you know, having a partner and um, we have a child together as well. So I have three kiddos that live with me navigating relationships and figuring out how to heal and how to have friendships and what I enjoy doing. Um, it's just been, it's been a wild ride the last eight years, but I, wow. I wouldn't change it for anything. Absolutely. I wouldn't either. Wow. Megan, <laughs> thank you so much. I'm even more now like, okay, so I had the full body chills already, the eyes fluttering, my, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm honoring your space and for you to tell us your story. And there were so many components that, I mean, your truths are going to connect with so many because that's happening and it's still happening and affecting a lot of, you know, even the fellow survivors you support and the survivors that we support and that we talk to and, mm-hmm. you know, that share their stories. And what's amazing is that I can still feel that it's never going to be enough to make sure that your story is heard to me anyway, because it I didn't expect that, to be honest. right and how you started it off with letting us know that you're you know what we expect or what a lot of people think of trafficking is not gonna probably look and sound like what they expect Mm -hmm. what was happening to you did or did you just see it as the umbrella under domestic violence yeah that's such a good question I think we need to talk so much about that piece for probably the first four years so under the control of the the first pimp who I thought was just my boyfriend um there was so many like power and control dynamics that mirrored the marriage that I had just left and so it it was normalized like I I thought that, you know, men who loved you hit you and cheated on you and, you know, called you names like that. I didn't think anything of any of that. And I very, I mean, my first pimp and my second pimp both, you know, built into me like you chose this, you're doing this and, and you will lose your children if anybody finds out about what you're doing. Wow. And And so Mm -hmm. the whole time I thought like, well, I'm choosing to be in prostitution. Mm -hmm. So I never made the connection between like, you know, the relationship, this intimate partner and prostitution. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like when I finally successfully escaped my first pimp, I mean, it took me years to escape him. Um, It ultimately came down to a restraining order and a drive-by shooting. I mean, it was horrible. And all of that, I was like, oh, this is domestic violence, but I, I didn't have language for it. And um, then when I was in Vegas, um, just because, you know, Nevada is so close to California, right. there were some, some trafficking bills that were being passed in California at the time. And I remember reading them, you know, kind of the, the public like news coverage of these bills and thinking like, well, sex, sex trafficking is horrible. That's like in the movie Taken, but like I chose to have a pimp. Oh, um, yeah. You know, the the language around like the mm-hmm. pimp game, like they call it choosing up mm-hmm. and they do that for a reason, but I didn't know that at the time. 
So to me, I was like, well, I chose my pimps. So like, that's different than trafficking. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until, I mean, two years out of the life um, and some really intensive therapy that I was like, I think I got taken advantage of. Like, I don't think I actually had much choice in that. Um, So like, it's been a journey for me to understand what happened to me and how little choice I actually had. Absolutely. Um, And to come to a place where I can say now fully, like, yeah, I was absolutely trafficked. Right. Um, And that's a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times that's what trafficking in America looks like. Exactly. Exactly. And your traffickers, were they, and you mentioned grooming and mm-hmm. um, I want to put a, put a, a picture in a lot of folks' mind. Um, they don't have to be that gangster, that gangbanger. So mm-hmm. what did your groomers and your traffickers and the, the, t- the two pimps look like? I would say, um, there's a very fine line here because I absolutely, again, do not want to sensationalize anything. So um, there is a, and this is a lot of the research that I have done is understanding like the different types of traffickers. And, you know, we kind of, especially the term pimp, we think of, we have this like Halloween costume literally image in our head of like what a pimp you know what I mean like the Mm -hmm. the purple hat Mm -hmm. and like the pimp Pimp cup Mm -hmm. yes and um so I would say so both of my traffickers um were gang involved oh they were they were and so that's why I was like I do want to preface like it's not did not (laughs) I did not I wasn't prepared for that wow (laughs) no way yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, like I, I grew up in rural Colorado, like this is uh, right? Whitesville, USA, like <laughs> it's, and, and so moving even down to Denver, you know, I was exposed to culture and diversity yes. that I didn't grow up with. And, you know, I remember like thinking, you know, the, my first pimp, you know, he had this, you know, super flashy car. And I remember seeing it and being like, I've seen stuff like that. I'm going to totally date myself right now on MTV. Like I've never seen flashy. Like, I didn't know you could get rims that big. Like it just, it was so mind blowing to me. And, you know, being out in Vegas and um, being recruited by the pimp out there, like he had, you know, the gold grill and the chains and, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is just like in, in the music videos. Oh my um, gosh, Megan, no, please don't tell me that they were both African-American. They both were. And, and I, I'm glad you bring that up Mind because blown. I think it's so important to have conversations yes. around. Let's do it. Race. Let's speak these truths, Megan. <laughs> you got it. The, you got it. I'm here Let's for you. Do it. We're supp- I think- support each other. I, I, I think it's so important to have those conversations and understand There is, so there are many different types of traffickers Um, within our research. We break them out into pimp, gang, and familial traffickers. Um, And there's absolutely a racial component here. And if you look at kind of the history of pimp culture specifically and where it came from, and, you know, both of my pimps came from gangs that originated in Los Angeles, California. And um, so understanding kind of this racial piece of this and, and also like, oh my gosh, we have this conversation with like our marketing team and just our team all the time of, we, we do nobody any justice by 
continuing to exacerbate like the racial divides. We need to have conversations about what's happening within specific communities. Um, but traffickers can be any race. They can be any gender. Yes. Uh, familial trafficking, uh, you know, I, I think I've, I've met so many survivors of familial trafficking. And um, I think it, it makes people, and I love doing this to people in my community, is making them feel uncomfortable. Like here in our area, one of the most common forms of trafficking initially is familial trafficking. And guess what? It happens a lot in white families. Oh my, um, let those truths come out, Megan. This is why so I'm like, I love uh, you. And I really, really want more Megans to be leading these organizations and speaking these truths because you talked about something that I haven't even really been able to talk about on this platform, but once or twice, and it's the marketing and the imagery and you are in that position mm -hmm. to affect change. And I just thank you so much. It's, it's so important and we're not going to address trafficking as a whole. Um, if we have these like stereotyped images of who victims are and who traffickers are, um, it's, it's not productive at all. Um, and, and there's so much more to the conversation that we need to be unpacking around if, you know, if pimp culture is very specific to um, the Black and African American um, communities in, you know, Southern California, then we need to be looking at why. Is there poverty? Um, you know, is there a lack of options? What is happening in this community um, that creates a culture of acceptance um, or just an outright lack of options? And then you have this glorified pimp culture. Um, but I mean, oh my gosh, I, every Halloween, Victoria, <laughs> I have to post some angry rant because Halloween is just a time of year that just really pisses me off. I know. No, I feel you. But, and I just, I just, oh my God, I am so thankful in this space because I mean, like you said, we can just go on and on because this is why I love talking to other survivors and people are like, why are you like, for example, why are you having a, an, an event with so many survivors? I'm like, because when you get us in the room, we get to finally share the space that we've been wanting to for a long time. And Every Halloween, I'm feeling like that. Every time I go to like a, a training, I'm like, oh my God, why are you talking about this? And I just hold my breath. <sighs> and I just love you for saying, I like to make people feel uncomfortable. It's not like you, you know oh, what I mean? Favorite. Like I'm with you on that. <laughs> like give me the challenge because I'm always vulnerable. I'm going to overcome my, you know, my vulnerability. I just took like the dare to leadership assessment daring to lead or something like that and I just scored so high my the the deputy CEO she was like girl I was like yeah that's that's my place like I'm gonna I'm gonna make people yes. feel uncomfortable so I'm gonna actually coin that and yes. be like I'm gonna be like Megan do I'm it be like Megan do it make people yeah. uncomfortable yeah. I love seeing people yeah. squirm in their kind of preconceived yeah. notions we um so we facilitate a curriculum called My Life, yes. My Choice. Um, are you yes. familiar with that? Yes, I just, we just, I don't know Ugh. if you and your team or anyone from your team did the Advanced Leadership Institute. Please do it with them. It's okay. well, specific to shelter, I guess, care. 
and residential. Gotcha. So I don't know if you really need that piece of training for everyone, but it does, it's beyond just residential. It's really just having the spaces where they're survivor trauma informed. Like it's just so amazing. It. And I know my life, my choice specifically works with yes. girls. They are fantastic. And one of the um, exercises in the My Life, My Choice curriculum is, uh, you know, you go through it with juveniles and you have them draw, like tell you, like what does, when you hear the term pimp or trafficker, like what comes to mind? And they'll tell you like, well, it's a man who has a fur coat and like these, these are kids. These are like 13, 14, 15 year olds that are telling you like, this is exactly what a pimp looks like. And the, the activity, you know, I've, we've done this, my life, my choice series. I don't know how many times we've gone through the cycle and literally every single time it's almost identical. What the, these groups of kids are envisioning. And so that activity is really to bring up the point that like, actually like, uh, all anybody of any gender can be a trafficker. Right. Because if we're zeroed in on that one image, you know, we're, we're at mm-hmm. risk for being exploited by somebody who comes out of left field and we don't see it coming. But it is so fascinating because right. I think of like that stereotypical pimp, really like that image originated in like the 70s. And we have kids still to this day <sighs> that, that that image is still like burned still. in their brain of that's what a pimp looks like. So super, yeah. just super interesting yeah. as a culture. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so excited. I think it'll be a good indicator. This is my research brain kicking in. When when we start yes. doing, like as we continue to use My Life, My Choice curriculum, when we start seeing teenagers have a different depiction um, in that activity of what a trafficker can look like, I think that will be yes. such like a monumental yes. moment of, culture is shifting and awareness around this is changing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the population of the teens and their developing minds. And this is like the time now. And obviously I'm already in love with the research aspect. So that is a great idea. And to be so truthful in this, I actually never would have thought that it would be those type of traffickers and pimps involved in your case and that goes to show what we even in our community again of of people of color our young girls that we might not be so hyped up on the movie taken mm-hmm. as much as we are on hustle and flow and i oh really try to stay away from that imagery of the really? african-american pimp and the white girl and i'm just like or the white prostitute, how they call them. And I'm just like, no, just stop. Like, I just, it's just one of the stories, you know, it's, it's like people don't want to hear about the familial trafficking because that's too close to home. Just like you said, right. They don't want to, yep, there you go. They don't want to be uncomfortable or the teenagers Mm -hmm. acting like their own peers can't be their recruiters or their Mm -hmm. people in their schools can't still be their traffickers. And like, it's just so much more it's not that that you're not doing the research or there's not the research out there it's more of the public's knowledge and what we're putting out there so I just want to put a dent into it with the podcast but I also want everyone to know like y'all out there we want to be heard so (laughs) you guys need to hit up Megan and I and we will get 
you know, like yes. she said, she'll give you some data. We'll give you some statistical yes. data because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. No, no, no. I'm, not, I'm over here, like with you, I'm over here teaching curriculums and they're mm-hmm. having honest conversations about sex and teaching them all kinds of, you know, other things. But I just commend you in that way. And not to just steer away from this conversation, because I know that's something that we will have a lot of discussion about in the future episodes, because this will not be the last time, Megan, I, I can't not offer this space again for you but then I also can't not ask you if I can have this space again sometime in the future um because it's sad to say and uh, you know this is just always a truth-telling piece is that I had tried to have a conversation about this this kind of like working in the anti-trafficking field or being wanting to be an ally an advocate and Mm -hmm. it just didn't get as many listens as Mm -hmm. our survivor stories so that could just tell you how people are learning and retaining the information on their end. And next time when they're understanding enough, then we can build up to actually talking about it, talking about the little sections like we are right now about working mm-hmm. in this field, the imagery, the marketing, the real honest conversations with the youth and et cetera, et cetera. So I mean, people don't even know like what organizations are really impacting survivors directly Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, oh, you know, I want to work with this organization that's in the limelight and, you know, I'm not going to give them space here either, but I'm just like, yeah, that's great and everything, but do you even know where those, those those monies go? Like, uh, (laughs) this is why. <laughs> okay, back to the story. So, um this is my last question about it and I'm pretty sure that cuz I know my audience, I know they have a question about this. You mentioned a really important piece to me and that was when you got out and you thought you were in a good space where somebody was going to and I don't like to use the word rescue, but somebody mm-hmm. was going to come help you whether it was a church, another nonprofit. What did that look like and how did you finally reach that said opportunity whether it was an eventually a nonprofit or a church and this piece is really for the survivors too because I talked to so many survivors and they're you know they might be thriving and everything now but there's mm-hmm. that piece yes. where we're out and so now I what? cannot speak enough about my hatred of the word rescue um it's it's a regular conversation uh <laughs> myself jumping up and down slapping fingers hollering oh, that's so frustrating that. <laughs> I I think that people want to be involved and I think a lot of times using the term rescue comes from a place of like good intention not recognizing the implications of the languages being used and we want to come in and help people and then we also like selfishly want credit for it and again, like just not realizing the harm that that causes. And, and I, we've seen it and we talk about this internally all the time, particularly with juveniles, since, you know, our laws here in the United States, if you're under the age of 18, you are automatically a trafficking victim and can be legally removed from a situation. And, and I think terms like being removed from a situation or being extracted are terms that describe the act of that that child being able to exit that situation, even though like as a child, maybe they don't have the resources and ability to do it for themselves. 
But I think when we use terms like rescue, it communicates um, to that survivor that like everything's going to be fine from this point forward. It's going to be fixed. You won't be uncomfortable. You won't experience sadness or anger. Relationships in your life will just automatically be restored. You'll have all of your basic needs met. And it's that's so disingenuine to survivors. And it's so discouraging to be told like you've been rescued. And, and then the survivor has to like, navigate life with no support and this belief that like they're doing something wrong because life is not easy now. And so we see this a lot, particularly with survivors who were trafficked as juveniles and then come into our programs as adults, this kind of theme of like, well, I was rescued at 15. Like, why am I still messing up at, you know, 23, 24? And and having to then unpack like, no, you were maybe removed from that exploitive situation, but it doesn't make the trauma go away. It doesn't make poverty go away. It doesn't make racism go away. There's still all of these barriers that survivors have to work so, so hard on by themselves um, to sometimes just get through the day. And so I, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave rescue alone, but um, I prefer to use terms like exit or escape. Um, because it places the power back in that survivor's hands. It's very empowering to think about like, I escaped, I exited, I made these choices. I maybe had, you know, support from my family or from a nonprofit or from law enforcement or whomever. I maybe had support from them, but I did it. I made the choices and I'm doing the work. And I, I think that's so important. And it's part of a bigger conversation with just power dynamics between service providers and first responders and the people that they serve, because there is a power dynamic there. And when we use language that just kind of furthers that power dynamic, it's, ugh, it just hurts my heart. So that's my like broad statement. Um, I would say, again, I will acknowledge um, my privilege in having a family of origin that I could come back to. And I would not have been able to exit permanently the way that I did had I not had them um, as that that safety net initially. So I was able to stay with my family for about 30 days, I think. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, yeah, y'all gotta go. I gotta find a job because this is not... (laughs) That 30 days was like eight years of my life in itself. Um, love my family, but like I'm, I was 28 with like two yes, kids. Like absolutely. I can't live in y'all's house. Like this just is not so and much a lot trauma. Of trauma. A lot of trauma that they exactly. probably didn't even know existed oh, so or what it looked like. So yeah, I can't I, I'm very thankful that I had them. And like that 30 days was, I was like, okay, we got to go. kind of last six months before I exited permanently, I had started to save up money because I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to be able to like, you know, like, I was just like, I have to save money. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it, but like, I can't get out of this. And so I had started saving money and by started, I mean, I, it was nowhere near enough to do anything significant, but it got me through about that first six months Mm -hmm. out of the life. 
And um, that six months, again, like I'm very thankful that I had that because I didn't have to worry about work for six months. I was able to sleep. I was able to eat. I was able to pick my kids up from school and do homework with them and cook dinner, like just do like normal daily stuff um, and start to like just regulate my brain and my body again to be able to think. Because if you're, you know, I was in a constant state of terror. Um, I was dehydrated. I was starving all the time. I was sleep deprived beyond belief. Like you can't, you can't make decisions when you're in that, that state. It's, it's impossible. And traffickers do that on purpose. They keep you in that state so that you don't make good decisions. So after that, like first kind of six months of, of shock and rest, I was actually court ordered um, for my last arrest that I either had to be in school or working a total combined total of 40 hours. That's what the judge ordered me to. And I had to do community service too, which is a whole other rant. But um, I, at that point, I was just like, okay, like I have no work experience. I have no, you know, I have a criminal record. Like what can I do besides be on welfare the rest of my life? Like, I I don't know what to do. I, and my traffickers have told me I'm stupid. So I'm not good at anything. And, um, so over that summer, I was actually admitted, um, I was accepted to the university of Northern Colorado on a full ride scholarship. And so, yeah, I, um, I just keynoted about this time last year at an event, um, about how education saved my life. That is amazing. Yeah, I, I cannot speak more highly about not just the power of education, like the knowledge that goes in your head, yes. um, but the ability to have an education. Like I graduated with my undergrad debt-free. Um, I had a living stipend um, that covered, you know, some of my housing and living expenses. And so I was able to go to school full-time, work part-time and take care of my kids. And yeah, so I got my my bachelor's in finance. I graduated in 2016. And, and then just graduated in May of 2020 with my master's in sociology. Yes. Congratulations. And, you know, and, and the Avery center is about this kind of years old, I think you mentioned before. So yeah, yes, it is. Wow. It's like full circle. This is very recent. Wow. It's, it's so recent. It's been a whirlwind. I was just talking with one of our volunteers and I was just, you know, both of us were like, how, man, that's a lot of stuff to have happen in like, you know, six to eight years, yes. like made up for lost time. That's, that's definitely. kind of definitely. definitely how I felt of like, I don't have my life together. I got to hurry up and get it together. Um, no. I, I, the older I get, the more I'm realizing, like, actually nobody has their life together uh, right. ever. There's, there's not an age. It's, like, and it's just, fine. No, no, it's not like, that's why the, like 18 is just, just this made up. Like, I don't know. Oh my gosh. Who, who made that rule? Cause it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and you know, thank you for sharing that piece. Cause I actually just had the, the, the most recent last episode with Mary. It, she, she mentioned the same thing, like education really saved her in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's just not that highlight that 
you all survivors are humans. You're women. You are, Mm -hmm. you know, you are smart. You are, you know, important. You all that kind of stuff. And people are just so amazed that like you guys can get a full ride or you guys can go to college. And it's just kind of like, oh, wow. Is it that, is it that surprising? Really? But that's why it's so important for me to highlight the stories like yourself and Mary and all the ones who own their own other nonprofits or their own, um, uh, businesses and, and things that they're trying to overcome because it isn't an, an, a very important part, but at the same time, we just don't see it enough. We don't see yeah, you thriving. Yeah. And that's why I always kind of start my episodes with kind of like our space of empowerment and how I'm not just, you know, trying to further exploit anyone else. Like I don't get monetary gain from this at all. But if anybody wants to highlight, I was going to say, but if, if you did, but that would I, be amazing. Yes, also. It would be. Um, but at the same time, it's really to share the, the, the voices that haven't been heard. And you are a recent graduate degree holder. That is so amazing as of 2020 and like the year of COVID you got through that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. I graduated like the spring of COVID and they literally like sent an email and they're like, uh, congratulations. Your oh diploma's in the mail. Oh my gosh. Like, now was... I just want to like have your personal home address. Cause now I'm like really crushing <laughs> on you. And I want to send you like a whole gift for like everything for like graduation for like oh. everything being like who you are magnificently in this space with me and speaking of packages I'm not going to jump because I I I still will find a way to support you because I support every survivor um and um I wanted to not forget about Hannah mentioning that you all are doing survivor care packages yes I want to give 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 please Yes, we, um, this last year, so this program, let me back up a little bit. Um, so part of my exploitation intersected with social media. And so I was allowed to have social media, which I think is another misconception a lot of times around trafficking of like, you have no access to the outside world. Um, And I, I had social media, but I was only allowed to follow and engage with other women who were also under pimp control. Wow. And, and my trafficker, you know, monitored my account and made sure that I was not interacting with other pimps, that I was, you know, constantly trying to recruit other victims. Um, you know, he had rules and expectations for how, how I use that account. Uh, And so I started to meet, you know, in person, like in Vegas or traveling around the country, started to meet other women that were in the life. And, you know, just like anybody does, like, oh, what's your, what's your handle on Instagram? What's your Twitter? Um, You know, the, the, the game is no different. And so I started to grow this network uh, while I was in the life. And when I got out, I just kept talking about what was happening in my life, just like I always had. Um, But obviously what I was talking about changed pretty drastically. And so that network grew from about 50 in 2012 um, when I exited to 300 in 2015. Wow. Last year, we were at, I think, 1,600 some. And then since COVID, we have surpassed 2,000 
actively exploited individuals oh in this network. Goodness. Um, it's a very scary number, but at the same time. It's point, mind blowing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's mind blowing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that, like I said, like it was, it's always been my life. It's not my organization. It's me talking about like as a survivor, like thinking back to the life and thinking about like not getting sleep for three days at a time and thinking about the things that I was told that I'd never be able to do that I've been able to do. Um, and, and so doing a lot of that sharing through that network and that's how it's grown organically. Um, which is, is just neat. And I think like the name of your podcast, like touches a special spot in my heart because, um, I've, I've done a ton of work with my therapist around feeling unseen oh my and gosh. a lot of my, Ugh. a lot of my trauma has come from this place of like, I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. I don't feel validated. I don't, I don't feel like anybody has ever actually acknowledged that I exist. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, being able to connect with others, whether it's on social media or here locally or whatever, like being able to give that gift to somebody else and say, I see you mm. and I hear what you're saying. And I understand at some level what you are experiencing. Wow. That, that like, that's my favorite moment of connection with another survivor is to say like, I see you Yes. Um, because it's, you know, the, the saying like, be the person that you didn't have mm. that you, you know you would have wanted and and I know that for me like that's that's what I always wanted was to be seen every day so that's a side note but yeah so that network has just grown we do over a hundred warm handoffs across the country every year through that network so people reaching out and saying like I need legal services or I need help with finding a job or I need to get connected with a peer support group whatever it might be wow. Um, so yeah, we do that. And then we do care packages and that program, I think I started in 2017 and I literally, I had no <laughs> money at <Wow>. all. <laughs> and I would buy, like, I'd go to the dollar store and buy like just enough stuff to send out, you know, 15 packages wow. or whatever every couple of months. Cause that's all the money that, that we had. But it's grown since then. So I think that first year I sent out like a total of 30 packages. And then the next year, I think I sent out packages, you know, every month to like 50 individuals. Oh and um, this last year we hit a hundred. And so this year, Hannah's goal is to double it, um, which I, I am in full support of yes. very aggressive goals. So <laughs> let's do this. I don't know how we're going to do it, but let's do it. So yeah, we, and it's in the, you know, it's, it's grown from, you know, going to the dollar store and buying like granola bars and fuzzy socks and, and little lotions to partnering with other companies who donate their product to us in February of this year. Actually, this is so cool. One of the care package recipients from last year, she's a super sweet friend of mine. I just adore her. She was like, I'd like to pay it forward this year. And I was like, well, you don't have to, like, there's no strings attached. Like, we just want to send you packages. Like, yeah. there's, there's nothing else. And she said, no, I want to, I want to do this. And so she got together with some of her friends and they've put together like Valentine's oh. care packages. Oh my gosh. They're amazing. Oh. They have she just sent me pictures of everything all wrapped up. I won't tell what it what's in it, but it's amazing. I just was like, these are extra for me. She was like, I'll send you one. 
That is amazing. God, how must that feel to receive a package and feel seen, period? Like, yeah, exactly. Period. Yeah. There's no expectation of anything. I see you. Yes, that's it. That's it. Like, I even when I was telling Hannah, I was like, yeah, how can I help and support? And she's like, yeah, we're going to, you know, let them know about the podcast. I'm like, that's it? No, I want to do more. And she's like, that's a lot, Victoria. Okay. It's a ton. It's, oh my it's gosh. A, it's a resource. I, it's a space where they can yes. listen to other stuff. I was like, really? I just never thought about it in this yeah. way. And like, when you think of a care package, cause you know, I'm, I'm a, a spouse of a military member. So, you know, we're thinking of get their favorite, like jerk, slim jerkies or M&Ms. And then we package it off. But this is so much of thoughtful survivor survivor understanding of what it is from a from the heart like it could be fuzzy socks because mm -hmm. shoot our feet and toes mm -hmm. get cold too Listen. <laughs> <laughs> you know to just a notebook because so we could all write down our thoughts like mm -hmm. you know what I mean it doesn't have to be something grandiose or you have to personalize it in a way that I know you love M&Ms with peanuts like it doesn't have to be it, like right. that you know what I mean you're seeing them in this space and like Hannah really made me realize that but now even more with you like but I still want to do something else. <laughs> I still want to give something else. I'm, I'm so excited for Hannah's vision this year um, with the program because she's really taken, um, I am I self-identify as a fire starter. So <laughs> I can come up with ideas faster than we can put them together. <laughs> but I am terrible. I'm terrible at actually carrying them out yeah. to completion. I'm telling and you, you got these young Hannah, people, you got these American oh boys, like they... They, yeah, they'll ignite oh. it. Like, you know, Emma, you know, I highlight her all the time because I never knew that it would come to this. But Emma was just like a intern from Princeton. And she's just like, nobody ever like gave me the chance to intern at their program. And I want to work in this field. And she's like, everyone else had to vet me but you. And I'm like, girl, you can come into this shelter and and and, <laughs> and show me like different trends, like social media. Like, what is everybody doing right mm -hmm. now? Like, what's the language? Like, exactly. those things are more beneficial than, you know, you sit down here and create this Excel spreadsheet of blah, blah, blah. Like I can, I can do that with someone else. Like that's not what I'm right. You know? So I, again, like shout out Hannah. I think I actually saw her register for the event. Um, so again, like you, you got a real one right there. Megan. Oh, you got man. A real one. <laughs> I want, I'm like, I keep telling her I, cause we, I think she'd been on staff with us for like two months and I was like, we did our, you know, monthly check-in and making sure she's okay. And, and I was like, I am already experiencing anxiety about you leaving. And she's like, I have 10 months left. I was like, I know. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do in 10 months without you. Oh gosh. And so oh, I feel man. selfish because I'm like, I know she's going to go out and do great things in the world. And Absolutely. I kind of want to keep her Absolutely. for ourselves. Right. I can't imagine. Well, you know, like, like you said, you never know. And uh, moving forward, I didn't know that I would be in this space still with Emma. And um, I I, I want to now talk about your open positions then, because maybe yes. all of us now who are listening are also now crushing on you and sad for Hannah to leave. So um, how can we get in? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I this is it's been this is a part of my my healing journey is learning to trust people yeah. and do cold hires. Yes. Um, because all of our staff so far have either been interns or volunteers. Wow. 
um, or they have come through our job program no way um, as survivors and been hired on yeah so amazing you know I've gotten to know people for like a year before we have funding. And then I'm like, Hey, do you want a job? Yeah. Which is, is a really like special process. It's very unique to what we have. And we have grown so fast over this last year that I'm like, we don't have enough people to like actually have a hiring pool. And like, we have to post do job announcements and stuff. Um, Scary. I know. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. I, it's, it's a lot of adulting it is. and I, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I don't, I don't like days, to do but. it. I don't like, we have a whole <laughs> HR department and I still have to do so much. I'm like, why? why? Yes. I like training, but again, like trust is a, obviously a huge, a huge, mm-hmm. not just a uh, concern, but it's something that takes a lot of time and resources. It does. And um, for all you people who have good intentions, like, just really know yourself and know the position that you're getting into. Like yes. what she's about to announce is like, not know. Oh, I can, you know, we just really need help. But she's not asking that. She really wants some really, <laughs> <laughs> let's say yeah. good people. Obviously she hires her survivors and this is a very survivor led and informed organization. So please mm-hmm. be mindful of that. But I know my audience and the, you know, we have some good hearts and some good survivors that are in good places that might be, you know, willing to, um, see what's out there now and give them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we, um, were awarded two federal grants last year and a state grant. Wow. And those three grants are multi-year grants. So they'll fund us for the next three years, which is, like I said, we've just, we exploded. We went from like this little grassroots, nobody knew us to (laughs) this, (laughs) huge organization overnight kind of feeling. So we are going to be hiring a ton for our service team. So we have our research team and our service team. We are currently, we just posted this week an opening for a bilingual service coordinator. Um, The community that we, um, our office is physically based in is about 50% Latinx. Um, And so we are looking for, um, yeah, a service coordinator that we have one service coordinator right now. Um, and we currently have a caseload of almost 50 that she juggles and I don't know how she does it. So we are like, oh my gosh, we need another service coordinator today. So that, that position is currently open. We have several more positions that are coming up. So we have one of the federal funds that we were awarded was a housing grant. And I'm so excited. It's for adult survivors and their families. (gasps) And it's, it's independent housing, like independent supportive housing. They get to pick where they live, um, what works for them and their families. And we support them in that. Goodness, so amazing. excited because that has been yes. a, it was actually a research journey that started back in like 2016 and wow. we just got funding for it. So yeah, so we'll be hiring a full-time um, housing program coordinator. That announcement should be coming out here in the next like month or two. Um, we are also looking for a part-time peer navigator, Ooh. which is, all of our positions are available and accessible for survivors. Um, we are a felon-friendly employer. Survivors of uh, the sex trade are strongly encouraged to apply. Yes. But the yes. peer navigator's position is specific to a survivor. Um, so that's definitely a peer mentorship yes. position. Absolutely. 
And then who else? We are hiring, um, I think we have some funds for a mental health professional. I feel like there's another one that I'm like, it should be in front of my face. We're going to like finish and then I'll remember what it is. But we have, we have a ton of position openings that are happening this year. And we post those on Facebook, LinkedIn, send them out through our, you know, mailing network. Great. And we post those in the survivor community first and foremost. Absolutely. So wow. um, like the service coordinator position, it officially opened last week, but we only shared it to the survivor community nationally for wow. a full week first. Um, and then we just opened it up to the public this week. That is amazing. That just, again, that speaks so much volume with, you know, your population, you know, your networks and you know, mm-hmm. you know, what's, I mean, you know, clear, cut and dry, you know, what's, what's best and what works for your agency. And this is the Avery center guys. Yes. You can find them at the averycenter.org. Yeah. And where are you all at in Colorado? So we are an hour North of Denver. Um, our office location is based in Greeley, Colorado, Ooh. and we serve basically, I mean, statewide and nationwide, but we're the only organization north of Denver, um, pretty much all the way up to, I think, North or South Dakota, like wow. we're, we're it for hundreds of miles in, in almost every direction. Like there's stuff in Denver, but that's wow. about it. So, um, we we're it and all of these positions are um, local positions um so folks would either have to live in this area or be willing to relocate but yeah and and with covid obviously we we work remote quite a bit um but our service team does um work with directly with um survivors wow well you know, back selfishly to the uh, me wanting to support um, in a way of, you know, sort of donations or something to the care packages, but also for the listeners, how can they support? And if it is financial or just, you know, becoming on your, uh, you know, mailing, emailing list, uh, mailing list and things like that, should they just go to your website and, and, figure out it there or do you have like a special thing you're going that has um that's going on right now sure good questions um so we are always looking for college interns who want to intern with us especially with covid we have really built out what internships can look like um, because so much of that is virtual now so um we have service internships and we have research internships for college students. Um, if you're interested in volunteering, there is a volunteer application portal on our website. Um, so you can go through that and same thing. Um, even if you're not local to the area, there's so many ways to get involved with the Avery Center, even if that's virtual. Um, one of the favorite things that folks like to do, and you can do this from anywhere, um, is write uh, handwritten affirmation cards for our care packages. So we need a hundred of those every single month. So, you know, thinking about love languages, if somebody out there listening, if your love language is words of affirmation, um, writing affirmation cards can be something that's extremely fulfilling for a lot of people, but specifically those whose that's their love language. So that's something that you can do. You can get together. You can do it with your kids, get out some scrapbooking paper and stickers and and make affirmation cards and mail them in. 
really fun way to get involved in and really connect directly with survivors that we walk alongside. If folks are interested in supporting the Care Package program, each package, the items in it, cost an average of $10 plus $5 shipping. So um, you can sign up on our website um, through the donate button to do a monthly recurring donation of $15. So $15 a month provides a care package to um, somebody that's in our um, care package program for the entire year. Um, so really easy way to get involved and directly support somebody. Um, or folks can make a one-time donation, same thing through that donate button. Um, social media, we have Facebook and Instagram. We're super active on both. Um, our handle is the Avery Center Org um, on both platforms. We have um, on our website, you can get signed up for our newsletter, our e-newsletter. So yeah, lots of ways to get involved. We have a conference coming up. We have webinars on our website, lots of ways to engage with us. Yes, I love it. Wow, you're like a natural at this, by the way. I'm surprised you're not <laughs> out here co-hosting, um, you know, a podcast. Um, we're, again, we're going to be selfishly talking again. Um, I'm going to probably take up a lot of your Calendly spots. Yes, do it. <laughs> you know, we, we do something in Hawaii called Talk Story, and I need a sis to talk story with, okay? Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. I am so in awe of this. I don't want it to end, but I do want to check in with you and see how you're feeling. I'm going to hit the donate button as we hang up from the unseen oh, team because we do want to be a part of the care packages. Um, we have some, you know, merch that, again, we just want to put our podcast out there. But also, we started a little hashtag called Believe Our Teens, yes. trying to stay away from Save Our Children. So, oh you, know, my gosh. <laughs> you know, listen, I got these conversations for days with you. So we're we going to have we had those coming up. But I also wanted to know selfishly from, you know, Survivor and anyone from with lived experiences, how can we support you directly, Megan? Do you have have um, intentions for like a memoir or is there something personally on your journey that you mm. are completing? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been asked that. What? Um, well, you know, so thank you're, you're seen, seen, boo. You're seen. I feel seen. <laughs> um, gosh, I, my long-term career goals, um, I would love to move into eventually, not yet, um, consulting with companies on just decreasing power and resource concentration and kind of literally shattering patriarchal norms wow. in for-profit companies. That's, I love that's that. what I want to do. Wow. So I, I do a lot of consulting kind of on the side already. Okay. Um, and I'm sure I'll write a book someday. Yeah. It's um, probably, I, 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 I definitely buy it. I definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely promote it. Um, is your consulting, I mean, I don't, if this is your space. This is not about the Avery Center. So could you share us your consulting site? How to find I you? I do not have a consulting How site. How do we find um, Megan that we love so much? <laughs> <laughs> so typically those contracts, um, I usually get contacted through the Avery Center and oh, then just depending on okay. if it, if it aligns under my, my scope of service description. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Versus like, is this actually Megan Lundstrom as opposed to the Avery center? Okay. Perfect. Um, so okay. yeah, I have a lot of support with, um, 
you know, my board and my team just recognizing this organization was founded on my story. And so, you know, constantly navigating, like, how do we separate the identity of the organization from Megan? Wow. Um, but yeah, that's, I want to, girl, I want to live in an RV and travel around the country and yes. just like hang out with cool people like you. Yes. That's, that's my end I goal. I mean, I was, listen, <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like that was my goal too. We were going to start in New Zealand um, because that's the thing that they do in New Zealand and Australia is they just <sighs> rent RVs and they just travel. Like, hello? Sign me up. Where, when can we do this? Like, I, I mean, that's my, that's my life. That's my future. That's what I want too. That's that has been like my goal what? since I was a little kid. Get like I was here. always, I've always been like, I just want to live in an RV and like do writing and hang out with people and what? see cool places. Like let's, I, I have wanderlust pretty. Crap. Like, I mean, I'm not going to like lie. That was a new recent thing because I just been living more on the, um, following some of the people that are more down to like earth like you said they're more like wonderless people so mm-hmm. now I'm just like getting their energy and I'm like I can do that I can yeah I can oh I can do like the the RV thing like I haven't been camping in a while but I I that has been my goal like literally we were trying to before COVID my partner and I we were just like listen let's just get the RV the the last yes. couple we knew they could tell us everything like where they dumped the shit and everything excuse my language uh-huh. but you know me because I'm just like I'm not I don't know what you're supposed to do, but that's, I'm willing to do that. Like living on a, a budget of just yes. traveling is what I want to do. Okay. So oh man. We yeah. are in support. Cool. We're sending you energy to fulfill those goals. I love the fact that you're champion behind consulting and the Avery center supporting you and your story. They're just, you know, it just sounds so amazing. You gave us all the links. I know what I'm going to do. How, do you feel with ending it here? Like, how are you? I don't like to just like girl bye kind of thing, got your story <laughs> and we moving on. Cause I could talk for like more hours, but I don't know if you know, we're going on 90 minutes. Like, holy crap. Are we, I haven't even been yeah, paying attention. No, girl, I, it's been 90 good minutes. <laughs> it's a good thing. Cause I haven't been looking at the clock. Like, oh my God, how, how much longer do I have to do this? See? I, See? I would love to come back and, and have another conversation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Just great. Fully enjoy this. Good. Thank you, Megan. I am going to reach out to you in a few uh, via email. I'm going to try to take your calendar dates. I look forward to you hearing this episode and your survivors, our survivors, our networks, all being aware and learning truths about human trafficking. Thank you, Megan. I'm going to end it there. Yes. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Victoria. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. Thank you for being a part of hearing and listening to voices that were often unheard, underrepresented and feeling as though their stories weren't seen, heard or believed. And I hope that you stay tuned for another episode as we will bring you weekly episodes released on Fridays of survival stories, controversial conversations and coverage of stories that never really make it to headlines. 
And if you haven't yet, check out season one. All right. Check y'all back for next Friday. Unseen the Traffic Truth Podcast.